Welcome to the Bay Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. You can find out more about us on our website at thebaychurch.co.uk. I was thinking about the line in that song, um, you split the sea so I can walk right through it. I don't know if anyone caught sight of the sea this morning on their way here. You probably couldn't see it because of the sea fret and the howling gale and the the raging storm that was going on. And I thought, yeah, actually, when life looks like that, be pretty thankful for God just to come and split the sea. To actually, you're not going to get wet. You're not going to get blown away. Here's a nice way through. And I know you can't see it, but I'm God and I can. And I can see you putting one step in front of the other and getting there. It's got nothing to do with what's on my notes. But it was just a really lovely thought, actually, that God's not bothered what the weather's like. He's bigger than that. And Nick was saying this morning, do you feel anything about this morning, Lisa? I said, well, it did occur to me. It wasn't my first thought when I got up, because when I got up, I thought, ugh, my alarm's going off. (laughs) Not a morning person. Um, We often pray for the love of God, or the presence of God, or the glory of God, or the manifestation of God to come down like a flood. And this morning was fairly close to that, and often we align our prayers with that kind of thing that's what we want to be soaked but how many of us myself included came through the door and thought I'm soaked (laughs) this is rubbish it's freezing my boots are wet my toes are wet I had to put a hat on because the rain makes my hair go squiffy Um, so this is styled by the weather Um, but we consider it an inconvenience to get rained on yet when we pray for the love of God and the kingdom of God and the presence of God to rain down is that the kind of deluge we're expecting Because if we're not, again, I'm speaking to myself, not just everybody else, then we need to realign our thinking with our understanding of who God is. Because he's not bothered how messed up we get in a good sense. He doesn't want to wreck us and break us into bits. But actually, if we are wrecked and bits come off, he puts us back together in a way that is beautiful and wonderful and exactly as he designed and intended. So if that's what getting rained on looks like by the presence of God, then I'd really like to be rained on some more. Again, nothing to do with my notes, but (laughs) just the presence of God is inspiring. Um, Laura chose the topic for me this morning, the title, Enticing. And the rotor read, Father Heart of God, Enticing Lisa Jacobs. So I thought, oh, excellent. (laughs) Lisa was lured in by the presence of God. Um, So I looked up Enticing in the Bible because that's always a really good place to start. And I'm, well, sort of happy to declare that there was no positive reference to enticing at all. So I went to Marky G. Uh, My Mark, if no one knows who Marky G is, you'll see him. He's tall and good at computers Um, (laughs) and maths. I said, Mark, if I say to you enticing, what do you you think? He said, well, it sounds like a trap to me. (laughs) It's a trap, you know, (laughs) excellent. So there's nothing positive in the Bible about enticing. Mark E.G. thinks it's a trap. So the closest I could find to enticing, which in the dictionary is defined as alluring, attractive, and tempting. Ooh, God can tempt you. Usually we hear about Satan tempting us. God can tempt us. Well, he can. The closest I could find was in the book of Job, 36, verse 16, where it says, He is wooing you from the jaws of distress to a spacious place free from restriction, to the comfort of your table, laden with choice food. It is. Amen. (laughs) Um, Mark Birch Machen, 
a little shout out to him because last year he was quoting this verse quite a lot and he'll probably be listening to the recording in the gym because he's not here this morning. He spoke on that quite a lot and I've always wondered about the word wooing because it sounds funny, woo, but wooing, what does that mean? What does it look like? Is it a tangible thing? And actually when it comes to the father heart of God and him enticing us, it's absolutely tangible because we experience it. It's a head and a heart and a whole body, spiritual, mind, everything, experience. And if it's not for us, then it's the person next to us. And when we get gather together corporately like this morning, it's very tangible. Everybody will have felt something. You might not have a label for it. You might not have a name for it. You might not have a definition for it. You might not be able to account for it. That's all fine because God doesn't require that of us. He requires that we show up. If any of us had to explain why we came to church, that could be quite a difficult thing. Oh, well, it's Sunday. Yeah, but why? Why do you do this? Because God said, yeah, but God also said rest. That looks like a lie into me. Why? Because there's something in us that's being enticed in by the Father heart of God. So whilst the word enticing wouldn't be my favorite or my personal choice, That's precisely what it is. There's something alluring about gathering here at 10.30 on a rainy, cold, horrible Sunday morning. Can we explain it? No. Should we? No. So we can all relax. I thought I'd share a bit about my experience of being enticed in by the Father Heart of God. Some of you may have heard elements of this before. If you haven't, I'm not sorry, um, because it sounds a bit ridiculous to start with. I attended an Alpha course back in 2008. I wasn't saved before that. I had had experiences of church. My grandmother reminded me of one yesterday because we saw a lady who lives around the corner from us called Anne. And she says, Elisa, when you were this high, so little, she said, you in Sunday school would always volunteer to pray. I was like, would I? That's really good. You'd always volunteer to pray at the end. I was like, right, what was I praying about? She said, well, you had to pray for the collection. So you always prayed for it. You know, bless the collection. What did Jesus do with it? what he chooses to do. I thought, ah, wasn't I an amazing little person? And she said, yes, the Sunday school teacher, who was this lady called Anne, uh, she said, the money goes to Jesus. So that used to be the prayer. I was like, all right, okay. And she said, one day, you stopped at the bus stop and shouted at the top of your little voice, there's Jesus! My grandma's like, where? She said, it was the lady called Anne because you you know, it was Anne because she always took the money and put it in her bag. And astute little me had observed that I'd prayed that Jesus gets the money and he does what he wants with it and we bless that. And this lovely lady called Anne popped it in a bag at the end of every Sunday. Off she went and probably put it in the bank. See, that was my previous experience of church. But I went on an Alpha course because my uncle invited me to go on an Alpha course. Except he didn't tell me it was an Alpha course and it was about finding God. When I discovered that, I was a bit miffed because I was not looking for any kind of spirituality in my life. I was fine. He rang me up. He's like, Lisa, I'm picking Rue up at half past six, so I'll get you first. If you've met my uncle, that wouldn't surprise you that that was the length and breadth of his conversation. I was like, well, where am I going? He's like, it doesn't matter. You'll get your tea. Right. What's for tea? Spaghetti bolognese. I was like, yeah. I'd prefer chilli, but never mind, never mind. Or curry, curry Tuesday, because Alpha was on a Tuesday. He's like, come on. I'll come. So I was like, all right. On the strength of, he'd invited me and I'd get my tea. I had no idea what else was required. I just needed to show up, and I can show up. I'm good at that. So I went. Imagine my horror 
and I'm not understating this, my horror at finding out I then was divided into a group with a bunch of people I didn't know, had never met, it was in a church, and the topic of conversation was Christianity, boring, irrelevant, or untrue. Marvellous. I sat there, what am I here for? So they went around the group, introduced themselves, if everyone can share what their favourite book in the Bible is. I was like, good grief. (laughs) Right, in 2008, iPhones weren't what they are now, so it wasn't so easy just to Google books of the Bible, and I'm really not overstating it. I had no idea. I'd not really read the Bible. It wasn't a thing for me. I didn't. I had a red Gideon Bible. Remember they used to give those out at school? You had your assembly once a year? Write the date in it. Pray a prayer, they said. So yeah, I went along. Ten weeks of that. And in November 2008, I got saved. I had the revelation of Jesus. And aren't we all blessed by... (laughs) And pre-Jesus, I was joyful I was opinionated, headstrong, determined, talkative, a grade eight musician, creative, indecisive, really good at procrastinating and a other whole host of things. And post Jesus, I'm still all of the above. None of that has changed. Absolutely none of it. One thing has changed, and that is identity and my sense of identity. You know, God didn't make me less talkative. He probably made me more talkative, actually, because I used to go home after Alpha and wax lyrical about how amazing this thing called Christianity was. To my grandmother, who's been saved for about 50 years, she was so confused by the whole thing, she actually went to the church that I was doing Alpha and said, hello, I'm Lisa's grandma. Again, if you've met my grandma, that's how she introduces herself. I'm Lisa's grandma, and something's happened to her, so I want to do what she's done, because I've been going to church for this amount of years. And this doesn't happen in the Methodist church. Nothing against Methodists. But that was where she went. And she went on this Alpha course and was like, oh, Jesus is so lovely. He loves me. And I'm like, 50 years in church and you've not had that revelation. I mean, she's a thoroughly lovely person, so motivated because she's lovely. Identity. Who we are. Those who know me really, really well know that I struggled with calling anyone or anything father or dad. Again, imagine my horror when every prayer was open with Father God. Okay, God. I I dropped the Father bit. So acknowledging God as my Heavenly Father was a huge struggle for me. And it took more than the sea being split for me to be able to do that. His heart is one of love and compassion and kindness. And it's a safe place. And I went on a huge journey of discovery to find that out for myself. David, Karen, and Lucy will testify that they told me solidly almost every day for about five years that they loved me. And every time I'd be like, why? Why though? Why? 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 Don't look at me. Because I couldn't, I couldn't process that, that inexplicable love, that love that cost them something, but I couldn't understand how it applied to me at all. So when Laura asked us to share about the Father Heart of God, to write into the core leaders, say, just share your heart about that and we'll see what we get. For me, it's a really profound thing that in the heart of God, there's no ulterior motive or condition or unachievable standard to achieve. It's not about perfection. It's not about attainment. It's not about any of those things that we look to measure. So whenever I feel challenged in who I am, or struggle to process things and circumstances and people and other things, I default back to two scriptures. The first is Matthew 7, 7. Ask and I will answer. Seek and you shall find. 
knock and the door will be opened. The reason that's one of my default scriptures is because on the day that I got saved, shortly before that happened, I was so furious that I felt emotional. I'd actually cried for the first time in a few years. My lovely hard heart had been softened to the point of, oh, I need Jesus, and I didn't know what to do. I was like, well, here's a Bible. I opened it, and that was the verse that sprung out. I was like, oh. I quite like that we can ask God questions, and he doesn't get angry or afraid or run away. I quite like that when I go looking for something with God, then I'll find something. How rubbish is a treasure hunt if you go looking and you find out? <laughs> Naff, innit? Knock and the door will be opened. But actually when it's home, you don't really have to knock. You know people you know really well and you sort of half knock, but you're walking in the house at the same time. It's like that. It grabbed me. I was like, oh, great. I have quite a lot of integrity as a human. Um, and if something speaks to me or moves me, I generally respond to that. It's very unlike me to not respond. So because that had happened, I was like, oh, this commands a response. I need to do something. I can't sit on this. So I sat and the vicar got up again who was leading the particular session on Holy Spirit. Who, by the way, is... <laughs> Holy Spirit's really good at invading you when you least expect it. He's quite happy to change your current reality and set of circumstances to something you absolutely didn't want, except you really did, you just didn't know it yet. He stood up and he said, I'm just going to read this scripture before we enter into a time of prayer and ministry so you can respond. So oh, response, drat. And it's Romans 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So I sat there and promptly burst into tears. Most unlike me, I'm not given to public displays of emotion and affection, unless it's joy, then generally I am. And for me, that sums up that enticing moment. That point there, something happened. Something came out of heaven and went crack right down the middle of my heart, broke it in two in order that God could begin his infinite work of stitching me back together, filling me up with that stuff, getting rid of the rubbish that had been poured into my heart and held there because it was such a hard place. I know it's hard to believe. But my attention was caught and I was captivated, and I was inexplicably, inexplicably, daft word, being drawn in to something I had no, no framework for. I had no frame of reference for it. I had not been there before. There was no one to tell me about it, because no one's experience is quite the same. So what is it that entices us particularly? I think I'm only just beginning to grasp some of that now, and I've been walking this journey for 11 and a bit years, my day job is in sales, and that's all about the thrill of the chase. Come on, we can get there. We got a terrible sales week this last week. I've sold one thing, and that's rubbish for a salesperson. But it's all about the thrill of the chase. You keep going because there's that short moment of, yes, I've got it, quick on to the next one. Yes, we've got there. Yes, we've hit the target. In the kingdom, it's absolutely not like that. It's a long yard. In fact, it's an eternally long yard. The moment we say yes, we step into eternity. So eternity is not a thing to be strived for. 
it's a thing you're working out, it's part of the process. And I love process. <laughs> I'm learning to love process. In the kingdom, with God, in the context of relationship. It's not about seeking the high or thrill seeking at all. But what are we enticed in by? And for a lot of people, it's that, that promise that you have a hope and a future. Because we all love a bit of security, don't we? Something good will happen. I'm stepping into good and great things. One degree of glory to the next. But that needs to look like something, doesn't it? We're looking for a hope and a future and a direction. Before I knew Jesus, I tried to do loads of things. Because I'm the type of person that's pretty tenacious and will turn my hand to a multitude of things and not stick at any of them. Except my current role, which I've been in for about seven years, miraculously. But I've been a waitress. I used to work in a kitchen and made desserts. I was a babysitter. I worked in a tanning shop. I actually used to spray tan a bodybuilder who then five years after I left that job got saved at the same church I did. I was like, ooh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Not on account of me, but I just thought it was funny. I was a swim instructor. I used to play in bands at shows and productions. I was an interpreter for French visits that came to Prudhoe. Um, I worked for M&S. You know, loads of different things. Did they sort of scratch that itch that I had that was missed in my life? Absolutely not. They filled it for a short time. But that sense of identity, that sense of a hope and a future. And one of my favorite verses from Isaiah 55, which you all know, is, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So when God says, and by our spirits we cry, Abba, Father, that's sown a seed in us that will bud and blossom and grow, provide food for us, provide sustenance for a lifetime. And from that, we can bless other people because it's all about the overflow. You have that grown inside you for a lifetime. You encounter people on a ministry team, on a hospitality team, just by sitting next to the person you're sat next to now. And it grows. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For other people, we're enticed in by the promise of heaven and knowing that you're going to end up somewhere good. I can endure this life, Lord, because I'm going to heaven. Yet when you do a sweep of people in church and say, right, okay, who knows they're going to heaven? Stick your hand up. That was an actual question. <laughs> and don't just put your hand up because I've put my hand up. <laughs> Because not a lot of people are okay with saying they know they're going to heaven. Some people are unsure. They think there's another test to be had, another hurdle. But Jesus didn't come to lead us to heaven. He came to show us the Father. That's really good. We could get that on t-shirts. You know, Jesus didn't come to lead us to heaven. He came to show us the Father. Which is why this enticing in by the Father heart of God is so much deeper than our initial yes. It's being enticed in by the attributes of God because we can have security in the fact he's absolutely who he says he is. I will create a safe place for you. I will heal you, I will restore you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And that's on top of the love of God, the goodness of God, his mercy, his grace. Because if it wasn't for that nature of God, all squillion billion facets of it, we'd be doomed, would we not? We don't really talk about doom enough, and I'm happy to not talk about doom. But we'd be doomed if it wasn't for God's desire to have connection and relationship with us. And we know that's his plan because he sent Jesus, and that's what he said. I have sent my son because, and there's a whole ream of things. It's a jungle out there, you might say. Well, Jesus went into the wilderness full of the spirit, and he left the wilderness full of the spirit. The process was a bit rough. He encountered some pretty tough things, pretty testing. But he went into the wilderness full of the spirit, and he left the wilderness full of the spirit, because being in that place did not take away the Holy Spirit. If you're looking at that sea out there and thinking, God, if you could just make a way, he's not going to do that in exchange of the spirit he's put inside you. No, himself is very much in you, and it will remain there to enable you to cross through that sea. So what do we say to God? How do I stay in this place of being enticed in? How do I live? How do I thrive? Because I'm there, but how do I live? We can ask God, teach me to abide in you. Teach me how to bear good fruit. When we have good fruit, we can put it to good use. We need to utilize it. We need to be active in that which God has given us. That seed he sowed, those things that have blossomed and bloomed, use it. Lemons to lemonade or raspberries to raspberry jam. Because I like that better than lemonade. Rotten fruit is no good. If we don't use it, it stinks. I found an orange in my car and it gone blue. Not joking, it was minging. Because it rolled under a seat and it had been left there for about a year. My car's much cleaner now, if anyone would like a lift. <laughs> yeah, you have to see it to believe it. <laughs> in 1 Corinthians, it says, live your lives with unshakable confidence. We know that we prosper and excel in every season by serving the Lord. Every season. Difficult to believe, but it's true. Because we are assured that our union with the Lord makes our labor productive with fruit that endures. We don't have one fruit one minute, then it disappears into nothing and we never get it back again. And some people might have the well the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Let me tell you, somebody said that to Job and he didn't have the best of friends around him. So I always take that scripture with a pinch of salt. Yes, if we don't use it, God might choose to redistribute it. But he doesn't say, aha, you've got that lovely thing. Well, I'm just going to take that away now because you've had enough of that and give it to someone else. That's not the kind of God he is. He prunes, he restores, he cultivates. But he doesn't snatch good stuff out of your hands and give it to someone else just to teach you a lesson. This process of relationship, this process of bearing good fruit begins with what we feed ourselves. What is it that gives us life? Binge watching TV and box sets are a big thing now. I was thinking, do you know, if I binged as much on the Bible in the encounter with God as I did on Netflix, or reruns of ER that I happen to be watching, much to Marky G's horror, uh, then I'd probably be a wholly better person in more ways than one. Box set watching is not wrong. I'm not condemning it, I do it. But what do we feed ourselves? What gives us life? Going back to that verse in Romans, it's the spirit. His spirit, Holy Spirit. In Psalm 23, it says, you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. And a little while ago, I had a moment with God 
when I was thinking about, you know, so often we hear those kinds of verses preached and taught and shared about. It's like, imagine whatever your favorite food is on that table. That's what God's laid out in front of you. Oh, steak and chips. Excellent. I love that. And God said, no, go a little deeper. Like, medium rare steak with chips and an ice cream. He said, come on, go deeper. Come on. He was really challenging me, and I don't like being really challenged. What is it you need, Lisa? Well, I probably don't need steak and chips. What is it that gives you life, Lisa? What sustains you? And I saw this plate and this cup, and it was lots of bread and a cup of wine. And I looked at it. I thought, well, you've got me confused with Marty G, Lord, because he loves bread. (laughs) The wine's fine for me, but I don't want a plate of bread. And God said, come on, what do you need? What do you need? Press in. And in this moment, I felt like God say, Jesus is the feast. You can choose whatever you want on the plate, but ultimately, if you want to stay filled, it's feasting on Jesus. It's communion, it's connection, it's covenant. That's where it starts and where it never, ever, ever ends. Never ends. Marky G and I are doing some marriage prep at the moment and looking at what covenant means. What does it mean to make vows to one another? Again, I don't say things that I don't mean generally. What does it mean to make vows? Because they're pretty serious. Anyone that's read marriage vows or taken them or been present when they've been said. And there's this parallel with Jesus and what he did for us with marriage. That's the picture, one of the pictures that's used in the Bible. It's that laying it all down. And one thing that God has been challenging me about is, Lisa, are you willing to lay down everything you fill your diary with in order to honor and love Marky G? You're probably thinking, well, you should be laying it down for Jesus. But the question is the same. When I make my vow to Mark in front of God and a bunch of people we love, am I willing to lay it all down for him? Would I lay down my life for him? And increasingly, not quite there yet, the answer is becoming yes. You might well laugh, but I'm being really honest here. (laughs) It's really difficult to say, actually, on account of this covenant that I'm making with you, am I willing to do none of the stuff, regardless of whether I'm good or bad at it? Am I willing to lay all the stuff down to create space and time and invest in this covenant because this lasts a lifetime? This covenant, this connection lasts an earthly lifetime. If we switch it back to Jesus and us, that covenant is eternal. He laid down his life. He gave it all. It cost him everything. Everything. So we could have that connection. And from that place of covenant love comes that communion with him daily, hourly, if we need it. And in our modern day church, that's represented still by a cup of wine some bread, the body and blood of Jesus. Choosing to surrender, because we get that choice. We can keep hold of all our stuff. It may do us no good. Or we can choose to surrender it. There's a verse in When I Survey that always sticks out to me, more than most. And it's, Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my Lord. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. 
And ultimately, that's the enticing thing, and our spirit knows it. But when we in our minds and hearts move to that revelation, we don't quite get it. What does it mean? We are wooed from the jaws of distress of this life, just like Job. I'm wooing you. Because the Father heart of God is so much more than accepting that God loves us wholeheartedly. It's understanding that because of his great love, we are able to love and to begin to walk out the life that was modeled for us by Jesus, that showed us Father. And from that overflow of love, we get to partner with him and see his kingdom come. And isn't that what we want to see right here, right now? That's what we sang, that's what we prayed, that's what we stood here for. When we're in his love, we get to access the depths of his heart and the deeper revelation that we can do nothing apart from his love. I move this way, Jesus moves this way. I move that way, Jesus moves that way. His love for us is so powerful, it delivers us from all fear. What's the opposite of fear? Loads of things, but the biggest thing is love. Love casts out all fear, perfect love. We sang it. We stood there and raised our arms. And when we're fearless, we're unstoppable. So when Nick stood here this morning and said, who's got a stirring in them? I put it to you, we all have a stirring in us, but most of all, the stirring is this presence of God, this manifest heart of God that says, come nearer, come nearer, because I see you and I know you and I know what it is that's drawing you in. So come and embrace me because I'm ready and I'm waiting, says Father. There we go. (laughs) Father, I thank you. I thank you that it is by our spirits that we cry, Abba, Father. We say, I am yours and you are mine. We are wrapped in an unshakable love, an unshakable confidence. So Lord, bring us into that moment right now. Stir us up, God. Stir us up. Draw us deeper. Bring us in. Unite us, Lord, as one in your spirit, by your spirit, and pour out the riches of your love. Split the sea where it needs to be split. And refresh us, God. Revive us to life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.